Well, good morning to you. Settle down. <laughs> Settle down, children. Yes. But anyway, again, I am glad you are here today. We have the opportunity to study the Word of the living God. I mean, that is a privilege. You know, in some places in the world, they can't do this, but we can. We, at least now we can. We don't know what's coming, but at least now we can, at least, so we rejoice that we can. Now, we're talking about divine judgment is coming. This is the Olivet Discourse. It's going to be Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 8. Don't stand up just yet. This is Jesus' last week on life, and actually it's Tuesday of the last week of his life. It's Tuesday evening of the last week, and he's given a teaching, and he's told his disciples that there will be not one stone left upon another in that temple. And the disciples are disturbed because they know this massive complex is going to come down because Jesus said it's going to come down. And then they ask Jesus a couple of questions. When will these things happen? What will be the sign of the end of the age? And then Jesus goes for the rest of 24 and 25 with the Olivet Discourse telling us exactly what's going to happen, what we can expect as Jesus' return comes closer and closer and closer. And I believe what we're studying today as stuff that is in the tribulation period. But folks, you are in the preliminaries moving up to the tribulation period. Have no fear. We are very close to the king coming for us. And all I can say is thank you, Lord. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we take great solace in realizing he's coming to rescue us from this mess that we're living in on planet earth. So now you can stand and we read the word of God, Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 8. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. This is the word of God. God. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I ask you for just a few moments to allow us to set this world aside and help us to focus on what you have for us today. Speak to our inner being. Speak to our spirits, Lord. Things that you want us to learn today. You are our teacher. Help us to hear from you. And whatever we hear, may we apply to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus, when, he, when, he, when he's giving this Olivet Discourse, there's a near fulfillment in that Rome would come in 70 AD and destroy the temple, destroy the temple mount, and the Jews would go into captivity. Luke records this. And that's exactly what happened. When you see the city surrounded, they were given the, the admonition from Jesus to flee. So everyone that was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ fled when Vespasian went back. The, the Roman general went back to Rome because Nero had died and there were riots in Rome. And then he sent his son Titus back two years later to finish the job. And then Rome destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D., there was a future fulfillment in Matthew, and we are studying the future fulfillment today. Now, before we get into that, I want to give you a bit of an introduction here 
And we're going to go back in our teachings, back into the book of Daniel, back into the book of Revelation, and we want to try to identify who the Antichrist, well, we're not going to identify the Antichrist, but I want to speak about the Antichrist and things like that that pertain to that. Now, first of all, we talk about the last days. We're in the last days. We're in the last days. We're in the last days. I want you to know there's a difference between the last days and the end of days. There's a difference between the last days and the end of days. The last days for Israel, folks, is the tribulation period. The last days for the church, I believe, is the rapture of the church. The last days. So there is a difference. Jesus gives us a... Will tell, will, scripture will tell us in Hebrews chapter 1 what the last days are. Verse 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways... Jesus spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The last days are from Jesus until he takes us out and until he deals with the Jewish people in the tribulation. Now, with that stated, when does the end of the age or the end of days start? Now, that's Jesus speaking, the end of the age. When, they want to know, when is the end of the age? And he's going to tell them. And I want you to realize this. The end times, the end of the age starts with the seven-year tribulation period. They start with the Antichrist. Now, he has all kinds of names. He's called the beast. He's called the son of Satan, the man of lawlessness, the little horn, the man of sin. He's got about 30 titles. But he is the nastiest thing that this earth will ever see. Ever see what will what event will trigger the end time, the end of the age, the start of the tribulation period? Well, the Antichrist will c confirm a covenant with Israel, Daniel 9:27. Now, a lot of people say, well, is this a peace covenant? It doesn't say a peace covenant, but you must understand that Israel has been pestered by Satan and who wants their, their destruction right from their inception. And so this, I believe, is a peace covenant. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 3 says this, For when they say peace and safety, there's going to be peace and safety. This is the big thing that they're going to, Jewish, Jewish people are going to want. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now, who are the they in this context? And the they are those in the day of the Lord who comes as a thief in the night in the preceding verse that I did not read to you. Then, then, the peace pact is signed. They think everything is great. Then, sudden destruction comes upon you. And you guys are Bible students. You know that happens in the middle of the tribulation with the abomination of desolation that will come. Those who buy in the false, into the false peace will not escape the day of the Lord. Now, I have a picture here, an overhead of Daniel 9.27. You've seen this many times in many different formats, but, and he will confirm a covenant or make a firm covenant. He is Antichrist with the many for one week, and I believe this to be Israel, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, destroy. This is the Antichrist. Even until a complete destruction. Now watch this. One that is decreed on this one that is destroying is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Antichrist 
is going to die when Jesus comes back. This is the firm covenant that we're talking about that I believe starts the tribulation period. And most people agree with this. I don't think there's much argument about that. So with that, I want you to think about some possible scenarios. Now, this is a posture. These are just some things that other people have thrown out, and I copied them down and pasted them and that sort of thing because they sounded good. So one possible scenario is this. The rapture of born-again Christians is going to cause such chaos in the world that people will look for a leader to help save them from the chaos. And the Antichrist will rise up, and he will bring peace and allow the Jews to build their temple, and it'll all be nice and great at the beginning. Okay? That's one scenario. Another one is the Gog-Magog war, which you hear over and over in prophetic circles. That's Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, when this Islamic cohort with Russia comes down, and they will destroy Israel, but God intervenes. And when God intervenes, it is at that point that many believe that the Antichrist will then come as the peacemaker, because all that turmoil is going to go on. A lot of people are going to die in that whole thing, and then he will bring in peace and calm that arises out of that. Now, my response to this is, who knows? Who knows how it's going to happen? But I want you to also think of this. It is a privilege, it is an honor to live at this period of time. When we see so many things prophetically coming to fruition right before our eyes, you have to, you have to walk around like this in order to miss it. I'm not watching. I don't care. Don't bother me. It's too scary. No, I mean, God is giving us a heads up on what's coming. We need to be aware. Now, a question is this. When you study prophecy, what does that do to you? Are you worried or are you excited? Are you in dread or are you expectant? And look at your heart. Where are you today? You know, most churches don't study prophecy because it's too hard. It's too scary. Too many people won't come back. That whole thing. Remember, it's about nickels and noses, and we got to pay the rent and that sort of thing. So we got to keep people coming here. Tell them all the good stuff that's going to happen. Yes, you must know this. A one-world global government is, will fail. It's full speed ahead. We're going in that direction now, but it will fail. And think about this. When you're talking about a one-world government, a lot of people will say, the preterists will say that these things that happened in the past that we talk about is future. Preterism has happened in the past. They say, well, Rome fulfilled this one world government. I want to suggest to you that is not true. Roman Empire, there's going to be a map that comes up here on the screen. The Roman Empire, this is where it extended. It did not go into Scotland. It did not go into Ireland. It did not go into Parthia. It did not go in these areas of, of, of Germany and that sort of thing. It did not extend into Arabia. This guy I tested, and he's weak today. So this is, this is the known world, but even in the known world, they didn't occupy the whole world. Now, that's very important because the next scriptures I'm going to show you give credence to what I am saying, that we're talking about a fourth beast that will, that will occupy the whole world. I believe this is the Antichrist. So, Daniel 7, 23, Thus he said, the fourth beast, now there's an angel speaking to Daniel in context, if you remember. The fourth beast, that's at fourth kingdom Rome, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. I'm going to show you the statue again in just a second. 
that fourth kingdom, that fourth kingdom is still in effect today with the legs of iron. There's an east and west division of nations today, eastern bloc and western bloc. We are living in the Roman Empire period of time today. So thus, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms. And this is the key, will devour the whole earth, not just around the Mediterranean Sea where the Roman Empire is, the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. Verse 24, as for the ten horns, now we've studied this, we know the ten horns are ten kings or ten kingdoms. Out of this kingdom, referring back to the one world global thing, will arise ten kings, will arise, and another will arise after them. He will be different from the, three, the previous ones and will subdue three kings. So we know that there's going to be a ten, ten kingdoms that will be ruling on the earth. And out of that ten kingdoms, one guy is going to come in and try to usurp authority. And he will, he will usurp authority. He is the Antichrist. Now, think about this. It is interesting that the United Nations, now when I say United Nations, Amir taught me this, Amir Sarfante. He's a Jewish, Messianic Jewish prophetic guy. And he says, when you see United Nations, think United Nothing. Because they basically do nothing but cause trouble. They've united, the United, United, Nations, excuse me, United Nations has divided the world into ten ruling areas. And again, we've mentioned this before. This is the United Nations. They're not getting into the Bible. And they, for some reason, it's ten ruling areas that are come to fruition. This has already been take, has taken place. The world has already been divided by the United Nations into these areas. Also, I want you to think the United Nations thinks they're in charge. The World Economic Forum thinks they are in charge. The World Monetary System thinks they are in charge. They are not in charge. God is in charge. The whole system is not going to change until God says it's going to change. Okay, so we need to know that. God is allowing this to occur. Now, just a picture. Just You've seen this before in our other teachings, but I want you to notice this. These regional groups, you can't read this, can you? These regional groupings are based on the United Nations geographical divisions. This is what the United Nations are planning to split the world into. Now, that's interesting because it goes, kind of goes along with the Ten Kings. Now, for emphasis, I want to mention this one more time. Another in 724, Daniel 724, another shall rise up after this ten nations is in place. After the ten nations is in place. He will be different. He will, he will subdue three of them. Three of them will rebel. Now, I want to show you Daniel's statue. Why is this statue pertinent? Because these are the Gentile kingdoms that are ruling throughout the age. Babylon first, Persia, Greece, and then Rome. The ten nation confederation. That is coming up. This is, we are in the east and west division now. This is going to be divided up into ten nations. This little thing here is the rock, which is a picture of Jesus, is going to crush this system. Over here, you're going to see a scripture. Or you're going to see the toes. Excuse me, the toes. Aren't they nasty? I mean, this guy does not want to take his socks off. I can tell you that. <laughs> this is no foot washing at a marriage for this. You're going to pass on that. But these are part iron 
and part clay. They won't adhere well. They're going to be at odds with one another. And Antichrist is going to exploit that and come in, subdue three, and take over the whole thing. Scripture here, as for the toes of the feet, were partly iron, partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. That allows Antichrist to sneak in to this, to this system. So, don't miss this point. Indelibly put this into your minds. The timing of the arrival of the Antichrist, the little horn, is when the ten nations are in place. They have to be in place, according to Scripture. Antichrist ascends to power slowly. Now, Scripture tells us this. Hear this. Be alert to what I'm saying. Don't drift right now. This is not time to drift and check back and go in your Bible to something. Please, just for this moment of time, I know how this whole thing works. Believe me, I drift all the time, but don't drift right for this second. Daniel 7, 8 says this. Daniel is seeing this vision. He see, no, he sees a vision. He sees the horns, the 10 feet. I was considering the horns, the 10. And there was another horn, a little one, Antichrist, coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. Now, I think that his full power and control comes in the middle of the tribulation with the abomination of desolation. I will emphasize that over and over in this talk. Don't get lost in what I'm saying here. Revelation chapter 17, 12 through 14 gives us additional information and confirms what Daniel is saying. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet. Why did John say that? Because they weren't in place when he was writing this. They were yet future. But they received authority for one hour, a short period of time, as kings with the beast. These are of one mind. They will give their power and authority to the beast. And I think that happens fully in the middle of the tribulation. These will make war with the lamb. The lamb will overcome them for he is the Lord of Lord, King of Kings. And those who are with him, by the way, that's us. Because we're coming back with Jesus at the second coming are called chosen and faithful. Now, I want to review this one more time. Okay, one more time. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, which is the one world government, okay? Another shall rise after them, the Antichrist. He'll be different, subdue three kings. Now, a question is this. What will the Antichrist be like? We know that he's despicable. We know that he's awful. We know that he's ugly, nasty, mean, terrible, the worst guy that's ever lived. He doesn't start out that way. Now, the only place we see a picture of this is in Daniel, in Antiochus Epiphanes, is a type of Antichrist. Daniel 11.21 gives us some hints or some pictures of what this guy is going to look like. It says this, quote, 11.21, shall arise a vile person, that's his personality, to whom they will not give the honor of royalty. This, the honor of royalty, Antiochus is trying, he's, a, he's from the Seleucid Empire, but he's not in the kingly lineage of the Seleucid Empire. So the 
kingly lineage does not recognize him. So he does not come out of a royal line. He sneaks in, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but when Alexander the Great conquered and he he just ran over Persia, he died at an early age. The kingdom was divided into four areas. Two areas in particular are germane because they have to do with the nation of Israel. One was Ptolemy. That was the king of Egypt. That's the king of the south. One was the Seleucids. That was Syria, kings of the north. In between the north and the south was the nation of Israel. And between those two, for 150 years, Seleucid kings and Ptolemy kings fought with Israel in between. Okay, so they became the battleground for a lot of its fighting for 150 years. So, with that background, think about this. Now, the New Living Translation gives a little bit more clarity on this. Watch what it says. The next to come to power will be a despicable man who is not in line for royal succession. He will slip in when the least expected and take over the kingdom by flattery and intrigue. Now, what is flattery? Telling someone what they want to hear to gain favor. That's flattery. We're all experts at it, okay? We all know how to flatter. We do that from the time we're kids. We refine it as we get older. Flattery, not a good thing. Intrigue means this. He'll be smooth, slippery, manipulative, cunning, sneaky, deceptive. Intrigue. In 11.23, it says... Again, Antiochus Epiphany is a type of Antichrist. He shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong. He's not strong at the beginning. He becomes strong with a small number of people. He starts small and gains momentum. In 1124, he finally enters peacefully. This is the Antichrist. So from what I get from this in my study, I'm thinking, what does this guy look like? What is he going to look like? What do... What do we look for with the Antichrist ascension to power? I think we have several things that we can look at. First of all, someone least expected. He's going to come up out of these 10 kings. Those 10 kings are going to be more powerful than him. He's going to come up in that group. Someone not of royal lineage. He's not in the royal line of succession. He doesn't have the background that these other kings had. Someone who is a flatterer, slippery, smooth talker, a smoozer. Someone who is deceitful beyond belief. He's going to get the world thinking he is the greatest thing since chopped beef. I was going to say chip beef, but I didn't like chip beef when my mom gave us that when we were little. <laughs> Someone who is all for peace. You know what his favorite song is? John Lennon. All we are saying is give peace, such a, give me a chance as the Antichrist. That's what he wants. Now, what will Antichrist do when he's in full control? Daniel 7.25, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High. He shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hands. God will allow this for a time, times, and a half a time. Folks, that's three and a half years. That's the middle of the tribulation when this guy really comes into power. The wrath of the Antichrist, folks, is not the beginning of the tribulation. Please know that. The wrath of the Antichrist is the great tribulation. 
from three and a half, the abomination of desolation on is when he pours out his wrath. Before that, he's the sneaky peacemaker. He's the most evil, despicable person to ever live. Hitler and Stalin will look like Cub Scouts compared to this guy. Now, I want you to think about a deception that is going to take place in the middle of the tribulation. The Antichrist will have a mortal head wound, and God will allow, I believe this is a real thing, God will allow Satan to resurrect him. And he will be then, he was resurrected just like Jesus was resurrected, and it will be the false Christ that comes out and all the world will be mesmerized because they see this resurrection. Watch what the scripture says in Revelation chapter 13, verse 3 and 4. It'll come up on the screen. He will be possessed by Antichrist himself, Revelation 13. I saw one of his heads, if it had been slain. Now again, it's one of his heads, so it's one of those ten nations, but he slipped up in between. He's the eighth horn, and his fatal wound was healed and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. After the beast. Verse 4, they worshiped the dragon because they gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war with him? Now take a hard stop. In Revelation chapter 12, there's war in heaven. Satan fights with Michael and his archangels. He loses, he's cast out of heaven, he's thrown to earth, and woe to earth. I think that Satan at that point possesses the Antichrist, and that is when Antichrist becomes super duper despicable when he's possessed by Satan. The world will think that Antichrist is the Christ. This is the greatest deception of all. As a matter of fact, I believe it's the strong delusion that you see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. When the lawless one, the strong, those who do not believe in Messiah will be, fall for this strong delusion, and I believe that it is the Antichrist is the Christ. They're going to think they're worshiping the real Christ. Now, to give more credence to this resurrection of the Antichrist, Revelation helps us with this. Revelation 17, 8. Now watch the word usage here. The beast that you saw was, he existed, is not, he died, will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. Those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life. Those who have been deceived. Those who, have, those who have bought into the great delusion from the book of life, from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that he was, then he was not, didn't exist, he died, and then yet is. That's the word usage. He was raised from the dead. And I believe, again, this is the middle of the week, and now the world is prepped for the false prophet to put up the idol in the temple of, of God, in the Holy of Holies, the abomination of desolation, and demand that the world worships the Satan-possessed Antichrist. Satan will get what he's always wanted, worship. And he'll demand that you take the mark of the beast. And if you do not take the mark, you will die. You cannot buy or sell. Your life will be miserable. You'll be on the run. That sort of thing. That happens in the middle of the tribulation. Antichrist starts out, starts out as a nice guy, peacemaker, 
ends the worst mass murderer in history. Jesus prefaces this whole thing with these words, take heed that no one deceives you. In order to not be deceived, you have to be people of the book. People of the book. Now, I also want to make a case that the Olivet Discourse is going to talk about the six seals. There's a debate on this. A lot of people, some people feel it's, it's a preview of coming attractions. I believe it's the seal judgments. So I have a picture. Oh, thank you, Ritza. So, false Christ, the white horse, war, red horse, famine, the black horse, death, the pale horse, martyrdom, the fifth seal, signs in the heavens, the sixth seal. Now, this is, this is actually, I forgot where I got this. But if you go Google it, you'll find something like that there. So anyway, I believe these seals and these things that Jesus are talking about are the same thing. So with that background, let's get into our verses for today. Verse 4 and 5, the false Messiah and the white horse. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed, that means listen up, hear, have ears to hear, that no one deceives you. Now, by the way, if you're listening to TV, if you're, listen, if you're, if you're on the Internet, if you're getting information from general places of this world, you are being deceived. You can just know that you're getting false information. At least you're getting truth mixed with lies, where it all becomes so foggy you don't know where the truth is. At least you have that. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, and deceive many. And I believe what we are seeing today, we are leading up to the tribulation period. We are seeing a prelude to the mass deception that is coming. We are in the beginning stages of deception, and we are seeing a lot of it today. You look at the last few years. There's been one lie after another that has been told to the population. So deception will be on the rise, and I believe this to be true. Demonic activity will be on the rise. You cannot kick God out of a culture. There will not be a vacuum. The demonic realm will enter. Jonathan, what's his name? Jonathan Kahn, thank you. Jonathan Kahn wrote the book, Return of the Gods. That thing is right on, right on. I believe we're living in the Laodicean church era where it's a weak powder puff church. People don't have a clue what's happening around them. Most churches don't even mention this. People are going around absolutely with their heads stuck on the ground like ostriches. Foomp. I'm not seeing, I'm not hearing anything too scary. The true church, real followers of Messiah, will be few. Now hear this loud and clear. Deception abounds today. Truth has fallen in the streets. Calling good evil and evil good is the norm today. It is good to kill your babies. It is good to have more than two genders. It is good to have open borders. It is good, it is good to do all these things that you are seeing in the world around you. That is, that is what we are living in today. Isaiah the prophet, 2,500 years ago, before the nation of Israel would go into captivity, he was warning the people to turn and live. And they did not turn and live. The condition of the nation of Israel at that time, he expresses in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 14 and 15. It will come up on the screen. Notice what it says here. Please focus. This was Israel 2,500 years ago. Extrapolate from that 
United States of America today. It's tragic, folks. It's tragic. Justice is turned back. We have prosecutors that will not prosecute. We have police that can't do their job. Not that they don't want to do They can't do their job. Their hands are tied. And the righteous stand afar off. And righteousness is afar off. For truth is fallen in the streets. Equity, that means honesty, cannot enter. So truth fails. And he who departs from evil makes himself prey. You depart from evil, you become the hunted in the culture. Deception, deception, more deception will mark the end days. The Antichrist system is full speed ahead right now. Now, with that stated, the system can conspire all at once. They can have all the meetings that they want, but they can't do anything until the restrainer is taken away. And I believe the restrainer is the Holy Spirit-filled church. And that is the rapture of the church. That's what I believe to be true. We're doing a study in Zechariah. And in Zechariah chapter 5, it talks about an evil woman. And she personifies evil that wants to get out of the basket. And there's a lid over the basket that, that confines evil. We think we have evil now. When that lid comes off and evil personified comes out, it'll be the worst thing that you could ever imagine. The worst thing you could ever imagine. The deceiver looks like the guy on the white horse in Revelation 6-2. I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow. No arrows, just a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. The tip-off here is this is a Stephanos crown. This is a victor's crown. He'll have victories, but it is not a diadem. It is not a king's crown. When Jesus comes back on the white horse, he has a diadem. He has a king's crown. Very different. Verse 6 and 7, wars and rumors of wars, the red horse. 6 and 7a. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not troubled. Let that register in your mind. See to it that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And then he tells us what will happen. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. These things will happen. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Remember the time of Jesus? Information was slow. You could have a war at one part of that Roman Empire, and that information did not filter back for years. could be years before it was disseminated amongst all the people. If there's wars and rumors of wars now, when do you hear it? Right now, right now, right now, right now, right now, instantly, instantly. I think that gives more credit that we're talking about this time coming up. Think about this. Believers will hear of so much violence they will think the world is imploding. When you hear about these wars and rumors of war, it does something to the human being. It breeds fear, upset stomach, sleepless nights, disturbance of your souls. And then Jesus says to his people, and only to his people, watch what he says, see to it that you are not troubled. I've given you a heads up. I am with you through all of this. 
We are in the preliminary stages, Lord, folks. The Lord is with us right now. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. This is an imperative in the Greek, a command. Don't be frightened, disturbed, or fearful. Folks, this is the second seal. This is worldwide war, worldwide calamity. Revelation chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Now again, heads up. Everybody look up here for just a second. Jesus is opening the seals. He is opening the seals to, to this tragedy, this awfulness of the day of the Lord that's coming on the planet of the earth. Peace. Now we have war. And then he'll open the third one. Then he'll open the fourth one, fifth one, sixth one. Then we go into the trumpet judge. It's Jesus doing all this stuff. It is not the world system. It is Jesus. It's his wrath that's being poured out here. That's what we want to remember. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see another horse, fiery red, went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and the people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. This is the red horse. This is war. Folks, the world is prepared for war. Iran is dying to get their hands on a nuclear weapon. Iran has a hypersonic missile now that can deliver any place in the world. They have the technology now to deliver. There are, for, there are wars that are being fought that have gone on for 50 years in our world, still being fought. And then there are recent ones popping up all the time. The United Nations was developed, its purpose was for to stop wars throughout the earth, to help humanity not kill itself. But what are they focusing on? Climate change. Electric cars. Electric stoves. Or excuse me, gas stoves. Get rid of your gas stoves. Transgenderism. I have a map here of the world at war in 2023. There's a lot of wars going on, folks. The world is prepared for war. What follows a war? Famines, pestilence, earthquakes, food shortages, the black horse, 7B. And there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. I believe this is the third seal. As awful as this is, folks, the trumpet judgments and the bold judgments will be worse. More on that in just a second. The tribulation period is off the charts bad. Now, Let's bring this into our life today. Today, this is happening today, right now. We are constantly threatened with food shortages. Climate change enthusiasts are encouraging farmers not to plant in many countries in our world. Eliminate the red meat. And by the way, Bill Gates and a lot of billionaires are buying up a lot of farmland in America, making it non-farmed. Just a side note, by the way, should have had a title this by the way. By the way, an alarming number of food processing plants in 2022 just happened to go up in flames with tens of thousands of thousands of cattle burned. There happens to be 12 of them. Never happened before. You might get an isolated one. 12 in one year. Seems a little suspicious to me. It sounds to me the United Nations 
is they're manufacturing a problem that could affect the food chain for real. And what I got to ask is this, what's wrong with these people? Dutch farmers are the globalist test market. Listen to this. Quote, animal agriculture is responsible for 14.5% of the world's greenhouse emissions, according to, now this is where it's coming from, the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization. Immediately, what do you do in your mind? Not true, not true, better prove it. Got other sources, I got to have something else besides the UN tell me this. Making it a significant contributor to climate change. A standoff between the Dutch farmers and their government is causing havoc in the Netherlands. And the Dutch farmers are rebelling. They say, no, we aren't doing this. And they have this, they're against the madness. And what we see is they have some picture, a picture up here, tires burning, hay bales burning, and that sort of thing. They are saying, we aren't doing this. Kudos to them. Think about something. Does this not sound like madness to you? jeopardizing the food chain. But think about this. If people get hungry, they are easy to manipulate. They're easier to control. This article goes on to say this. Watch this. What's driving the dispute? The answer, manure. The Netherlands' intensive livestock farming system produced an unusual excess of animal feces. When mixed with urine, those feces give off an ammonia nitrous oxide gas that is toxic to the environment. Now, what have these cows and these pigs and these animals been doing for the last 6,000 years? Pooping and peeing. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. They say it's a pollutant. It can leak into the air. It can affect wildlife and harm water. Well, I say this. These are humanists. They're all about save the owl and save the caribou. But they don't have a whole lot for the baby, do they? They don't have a lot for saving the baby. That's madness. The greenhouse gas is trapping. It's getting trapped in the atmosphere. It's killing our planet. Gaia is suffering. That's the earth god. In June, listen to this. Just coincidentally. In June, the Netherlands unveiled a world-leading target to half emission of the gases. They want to be the example for the world. They want all the other countries to hop on board, as well as nitrogen compounds that come from fertilizers. And they want to accomplish this by guess what date? 2030. Just happens to be that date. And the farmers are protesting, and they have this banner, no farms. No food. Think. Now take a stop here and think. When a nation or a person abandons God, Deuteronomy 28, 28 is the result. The Lord will strike that people, those people, he's talking about the nation of Israel, but you can extrapolate it to us, with madness, blindness, and confusion of heart. And guess what? Earthquakes are increasing. Earthquakes are increasing. You know what they're ascribing the earthquake increase to? Climate change. Yes, we have climate change that's causing the earthquakes. This is from a place called World Crunch. They say this, quote, Researchers have identified a possible link between climate change and the frequency of earthquakes. And the quakes may also start a vicious cycle of accelerating 
climate change. Yes, more fear and more chance to control the people. Folks, it's the beginning of sorrows. What happens after famine, pestilence, and earthquakes? Folks, it's death. Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, the rider on the pale horse. And be, I looked and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on had the name death, and Hades followed him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with famine, pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Do you see death, sword, famine, starvation, war, pestilence? That pestilence, you know, Chuck Missler was a brilliant man. He tapped into this way before anybody else did. He talked about this pestilence could be the small viruses that come into our world and can wipe out billions. Pestilence. In any event, the four seals, the four horsemen, are given authority by God to destroy one-fourth of mankind. Folks, that's, I used to say that it's two billion, but I'm going to be generous. I'm going to say, let's say a billion people get raptured. I'm generous with this, okay? I, I don't think it's going to be that many, but a, let's say a billion that means it'll be about 1.5 billion. There'll be about 7 billion left. So about 1.5 billion will be killed in the seal judgment. In verse 8, we read this. This is just the beginning of sorrows. Just the beginning. This is not the great tribulation. This is just beginning. I believe this. Listen to this. This is the judgment of God. Jesus is saying, he's warning, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. I believe the seal judgments happen at the, this is my supposition. Now, there's a lot of Bible teachers that don't say this, but I'm going to say this because I believe it to be true. I believe the seal judgments happen at the beginning of the tribulation. They are so bad and it's going to have such devastating effects on earth, it's going to take some time to recover from these judgments. The trumpet and the bowl judgments are worse, and I believe they're near the end of the tribulation. Now, again, there's a lot of Bible teachers, and these are brilliant men, who say the trumpet judgments are in the first half. Andy Woods is one of these guys. And I like this guy. I follow him a lot. But I don't believe this can happen. The reason is the following. Consider the trumpet judgments. One-third of the vegetation is burned up. That's trees and grass and everything. That's farmland, folks. One-third of the oceans become, become blood. Think of the sea animals. Think of the food supply in the sea. One-third of the fresh water is made bitter. And then get this one. One-third of the light from the sun, the moon, the stars is gone. You talk about climate change when you don't have the sunlight that you need. Locusts are then released, and those without the seal are tortured. And then demons are released from the abyss, and another third of mankind are killed. Folks, that's another one and a half billion people. This is mass destruction. In my opinion, this has to happen in the last half of the tribulation. If that happened in the first half of the tribulation, what does Antichrist have to rule? There's nothing left. It's just one big, giant mess on earth. I believe the bold judgment, they're even worse near the end. Now, for you who are sick of this, closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. What has been described, I believe, as the first half of the tribulation? Birth pangs. Jesus warned about what comes next. He talked about the great tri tribulation in Matthew 24, 21. 
And Jesus said, lest these days be cut short, no flesh would be saved alive. Unless he intervened, humanity would be dead. It would be from his judgments and Antichrist judgments, and I believe the nuclear holocaust that's going to come in that whole thing. Nobody would survive, but he's going to intervene. Now, think about this. We are hearing these warnings today. And I would say this is our opportunity to heed the warnings. Jesus desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Jesus, his desire is for you to know him and come into his family and not have to go through this stuff. Don't have to go through this awfulness of the tribulation. Heed Jesus' warning. Believe and receive the gift of salvation while you can. While you can, it's a gift to you. He offers it to you. Believe and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I put my trust in you. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. You are my God. I, my loyalty is with you. Why do we study this stuff? Why do we study prophecy? Why, we, why do we put ourselves through all of this, you know, the consternation here? It's scary. It's scary. It's awful. It's unfathomable. But we do this for one reason. Jesus expects his people to know. And he holds you responsible to know. He's not kidding. He's not kidding. Several reasons why we study prophecy. Mark Hitchcock in his book, The End. 21% of, Bible, of the Bible is prophecy. There's a special blessing for those who endeavor to understand it. In Revelation chapter 1, 3. Blessed are those who read the word, hear the word, understand, dig into the word, and who keep, keep the word. The keep is the word tarot. That word tarot means keep watch. Keep watch for what's coming. It's a blessing to know what is coming. So you're not caught off guard. You're not caught off guard. Prophecy gives us a proper perspective of life here. It isn't all about here, folks. It's about what you do with Christ and where you're going to be living forever, either with him or separated from him. Prophecy motivates us to live godly. And hear this, there are 500 or so prophecies that have been fulfilled as stated in Scripture. The remaining prophecies we can count on to be fulfilled. God has a perfect track record. What he says will happen. Look, we spend a lot of time on the Antichrist and the Antichrist system. But we as the church, as the church, are encouraged to watch, are not encouraged to watch for the Antichrist, but to watch for the real Christ. Luke 21, 28, we glean much from this. This is a tribulation verse. But folks, I think today as we're streaking towards this time, we can learn much from it. Now, when these things begin to happen, and you are seeing them begin to happen in spades, Look up, lift up your head, because your redemption draws near. Folks, this thing is coming to an end. So church, so church, as we streak to the rapture of the church, as we see our world devolve into madness, and that is what we're seeing around us, I would suggest to you, you as the body of Christ, no lip on the ground, poor us, it's going to end. I can't. None of that, no lip on the ground. No running around saying the sky is falling, there's no hope, there's no use. There is hope, and that is in Jesus Christ. 
With confidence, we tell everyone, everyone in earshot about the Lord. And I'm telling you, they already think we're crazy. They already think we're nutty putty. Looney tunes, crazier than loons. Don't let that stop you. You get out and you tell your barber and you tell your plumber and you tell people you bump up in the streets with about the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care if they think I'm crazy. We have a life-saving message. Now, you don't act crazy like I'm doing right now. You, you approach it decently and honorable and that sort of thing. But you have the courage to tell them about Christ, about what's coming into this world. And the, the, the absolute necessity to live for him while you can. The time is short. One way or another, folks, we are leaving. We don't belong here. Hebrews says we're aliens and strangers. We are of another kingdom, another world. We serve another king. So while we are here, don't let the deception get you off. Don't let the discouragement affect your life. Don't allow what is happening in our world to get your lip on the ground and that you can't say anything. You're so disturbed by, no, you will not be troubled. You are servants of the Most High God. Stay on mission. And know that you know that you know the king is coming for me. Put your name there if you're a believer. The king is coming for me. I love C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. We, we serve this king. I love what he says. He is a king, I tell you. He is a king, I tell you. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be served. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And I would say in this epoch of time, folks, all eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes off of this world, this world system. All eyes on Jesus. I love this picture. This is Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. The lion of the tribe of Judah is coming. Our king is coming. Our king is coming. And all I can say is this. All hail King Jesus. All hail Emmanuel. King of kings, Lord of lords, bright morning star. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, please do not leave this place without speaking to me. It is the greatest honor that a person can have is to introduce you to the Savior. If you are living a compromised life, I would ask you right now to take a hard stop and say, no, I'm all in it for the King. I am living for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I am no longer going to live for myself. I'm going to do things His way. He bought me with a price. I owe my life to Him. He is my Savior and my Lord. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, right now, I pray in the quietness of our hearts, we search our hearts to see where we are with you. And I pray right now, if someone does not know you as their Savior, that they cannot escape leaving here, that you're pressuring somebody so much conviction on them that they have to say, I believe in you, Jesus. I put my trust in you, Jesus. I know that you are my Savior. Thank you. I invite you into my life. I receive the gift of salvation right now. Please do that in your seat right now. If you're living a compromised life, I would ask you to say no more. I'm all out for Jesus. I'm a bond servant of the Lord Jesus. My will consume with the will of the master. 
Thank you for this time. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son, and thank you for the Holy Spirit who has given this word to us that we can know that we know what is coming. Thank you for this time together. Now may the Lord Jesus be glorified in our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.